0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. Post-Indiana victory, much closer than we all anticipated. How's T. Frank doing today as we... We hit November.
2: Yeah. uh, Also hit a new record, I think, for film rooms that I put out at bluewhiteillustrated.com. I did try to do shorter videos, and it turned out that they were just the same length, but I did more. So I think there were four for the offense and three for the defense. So seven, uh, almost an hour and a half of film study, if you want to check any of that out. Uh, And please do, because otherwise I've wasted my time.
1: (laughs) Well, it's always good stuff when uh, T. Frank does his analysis. And T. Frank, just because you did all that doesn't mean I'm letting you off the hook. We want more. We want more of that analysis. Oh, oh good. Good. <laughs> well, and let's start with the offense. Why not? Let me start with this, T. Frank. After Ohio State, oh mm-hmm. for their first 15 on third downs, just... A disaster as far as the offense went we assumed we would see some changes coming to us the following mm-hmm. week with indiana did we see changes so
2: yes we did and this is partly the nature of football because indiana runs a very different defense than ohio state so Part of it is, and will always be matchup specific, the coaching staff is going to pick the best plays and the best plan to attack that week's opponent. So it's not like they're playing Ohio State a second time. It's like, okay, this is what we should have done. Um, But there was some differences in this defense um, that they found different ways to attack it. And uh, they did some things that were different from even previously seeing teams that We're a little more aggressive playing uh, cover one and some zone coverages off of that. So attacking the middle of the field was something I harped on all of last week, and they did it. They attacked the middle of the field several times. In fact, I'd say the meat of the offense came over the middle. And again, part of that is because Indiana ran cover zero a couple times and Drew Aller absolutely beat it with great throws down the field. And then other times, he was uh, willing and able to find guys uh, on the backside of his progression and get to the receivers. It was not perfect, but I think this represented in that sense um, that if he, he's true to form, if you give him a throw, he doesn't care where it is, he will take that throw. Uh, he just has to be able to see it on that given play. So thrown over the middle, Indiana, I think like the rest of us saw on, on film, hmm, he doesn't like to use the middle of the field, And he made them pay for it. So a good performance to not have a tendency in this game and to break some of those and become, I think, a little bit balanced, more balanced of an offense to show teams that you can't do those things against Penn State or they will engage all of the things that they did against Indiana and and perform, I think, generally well.
1: You know, uh, T Frank, you talked about the coaches coming up with the best plan based on the defense that is going to be presented to them. The cynical among us might say, so that's the best plan they could come up with? Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know, and some of that's based on the results. The other thing you point out is Drew Aller's ability to go wherever the opening is, wherever that might be. That leads us to, or leads me to anyway, James Franklin talking about the deep ball and that there's several times during a game where, someone is going deep on the play. And it's a matter of Drew Aller then making the decision. Where's the opening? Is Mm -hmm. it deep? Is it intermediate? Is it his first read, second, third read? So tell me about that. And Drew Aller, is he doing that? Is he not taking enough chances? Does he have more opportunities for that deep ball like he did late with Lambert Smith, but is just too quick to check down?
2: So uh, that's, Jim, you, you, you ask a, a great question, but one that um, I, I, I appreciate people's faith in me. I don't know the play call, and so I can't really give you the exact answer. What you're referring to and what James Franklin said in that answer partially was, we call a lot of deep shots, maybe eight a game, but we're not going to waste players just running deep. So if they're playing off coverage and they're settling into a deep third or a deep half, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Harrison Wallace, Malik McLean, whoever it is, they're going to snap that route off and try to open themselves up underneath. So we saw that a couple of times. Um, and then uh, with Aller, um, it's all about the opportunity and whether or not it's a good opportunity to throw the ball deep and if there's something available on that play. So honestly, I, I I apologize. I forget the basis of your question. Of is he is was it is he throwing the ball deep enough? Is that is that the question?
1: Well, not so much enough as it is. Are there opportunities there that he's just choosing not to use? No. Now, whether a guy's open or not, is it's not black and white. It's not, oh, he's wide open or he's covered. There's a whole spectrum there. And I think that's the question of, is Drew Aller so risk adverse that he's not taking those, that there are opportunities that he's not taking? I would have said yes previously. And I don't even know if that's really
2: fair uh, to say yes, because there have not been a lot of quality deep options so far this year. Now, single coverage running down the field. The, The problem is there's multiple examples in this game. You're asking me, did he, is he being aggressive enough? Or is he, are there deep balls he's not taking after a game in which he threw the ball deep six times, which I think is the most of, of his easily, the most of his career. Uh, And he went three of six for 101 yards on the deep ball. So it was a big part of their game uh, against Indiana because Indiana was playing aggressive man coverage. And as Drew Aller said, with their post safety playing low, meaning their their free safety over the box uh, of of, a boundary safety low to take away those intermediate crossing routes, they had more opportunities deep. Um, So to say. This is the problem, Jim, is like it changes each week and it changes based on the defense. I don't feel like Drew has missed a lot of wide-open opportunities on the deep ball. I don't think he's been so conservative. He's made the right decision where guys aren't, it's not clean. You have a clean uh, play underneath. This particular game, and I'm trying to satisfy the question here, there were opportunities in the first half where Indiana was running a certain blitz, where if he sees it, um, there were opportunities to throw the ball 10 yards, 12 yards down the field on the back side of plays. He didn't get to those. And it seemed after a while, Penn State was content to move away from those blitzes, to, to run away and to pass away from those blitzes. If you see those, there was the opportunity maybe to score more points in the first half, get out to a hotter start. But I don't expect every quarterback to see every open receiver, especially early in the game when you're still figuring out what the game plan is for the other team. And as they settled in, Indiana left fewer open receivers uh, that Drew Aller wasn't necessarily missing. Now, there were times in this particular game where his pocket presence made him miss receivers because he was not keeping his eyes down the field. He was feeling the rush too much. That is absolutely a part of the conversation. But if you're asking specifically on the deep ball, I don't know that that's uh,
1: what the story of the game was for me. Very good. Let's talk a little bit about the running game. some point, you reach the conclusion that maybe is this it? Is this what we're going to get? I think early in the season, it was easy to say, well, the opportunities will come for the big run. Just didn't hit them early. Now, we're more than halfway through the season. We still haven't seen it, and Early on, it seemed like they were trying to get make up for last week when Nick Singleton got very few touches, get him the ball mm-hmm. quite a bit. But you ended up with, what, uh, a long run for Nick Singleton of seven yards? The long run for Catron Allen is 12. Is this now what we should expect from the running game?
2: Jim, I don't I don't know. Um, because, and let me explain it. I'm, I'm throwing a lot of I don't knows at you.
1: <laughs> you um, are,
2: T. Frank. What's going on? <laughs> because like the run blocking has been good in this game. Again, check out my film room on, on the Penn state offense. I want, I want you to go and see what I'm talking about because I can tell you here on the radio. Or I can tell you here on the YouTube channel, but it's easier if you see it. Cause then you'll actually believe me. It's like, because there's a certain amount of, I can sit here and say Hunter Norzad was really good as a run blocker on Saturday. And, and Penn State fans will say he sucked in pass protection. He's bad at football. I don't care. And just like ignore the body of work. Penn State had several perfectly blocked run plays. And I mean, like got the running back to the safety. It is the job of the running back to break that tackle. So if you're talking about the run game and not putting Indiana away and Indiana is a bad run defense. And it showed in the trenches where Penn State got real movement on some undersized guys and some guys that maybe are not up to the level that they played recently. They did what they needed to do, especially like, I'll give you an example. If you just, even if you don't want to sign up for the Blue-Eyed Illustrated, go on YouTube and watch the first play of the third quarter. Catron Allen gets a beautiful, does-not-have-to-break stride for nine yards to the free safety. He's supposed to make one player miss in open space. He falls forward for nine yards. I don't know what to say. That's the point. Like, I don't, at this point, this keeps happening. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, two explosive running backs that either run away from people or are super elusive. Katron Allen was great at generating extra yards. I'm not saying he had a bad game, but you're asking where's the big run? It dies at the safety this year. For some reason, they aren't able to break those tackles, and I'm not hearing and I will not listen to J1 Sider not a good coach because I spend a lot of time in the open practice time watching the running backs and the offense. They practice that every single week in front of us, the fundamentals of how to break a tackle from the safety. And you can, and I've had every single thing, like, do you need more jump cuts? Do you need more violent stiff arms? Do you need, mo-? yes, sure. However you break a tackle, whatever you want to put in the cake batter, go for it. But right now, that's the problem is uh when they're given the opportunity and when the long run presents itself to literally run away from uh Indiana in that game. They're they're just not able to convert those plays.
1: And I don't have uh the numbers in front of me what uh where are here we go. Uh singleton was fifteen carries for fifty yards. Do I have that yep. correct? Or yep. And I got it.
2: 15 carries for 50 yards, 18 for 82. I'll add a little bit more context here. Drew Aller broke three tackles on scrambles. Katron Allen broke four tackles. Nick Singleton didn't break a tackle in the game. And he had opportunities in the hole to do that. And he went down for the yardage he got, which is why you get 3.3 yards a carry. Um, I'm not trying to lay on these guys. I am not trying to pile on Nick Singleton, who's not having a good year. I'm just stating the facts that are there. And those are the facts. Pence, broke eight tackles against Indiana, should have been 12 to 15. um, And their star running back is struggling with, I just think, a crisis of confidence at a certain point of just being able to plant his foot into the ground and explode through contact because you get an ankle, you get a helmet on his shin, and he goes down where you would think normally a power back, somebody who runs violently, if you hit him high, he bounces off, you hit him low. He kind of falls like a tree and and i don't I don't know how to fix that like I'm not a sports scientist I'm not a running back coach. those are just the facts of what's happening.
1: Very good T Frank all right that's it for quarter number one quarter number two there were so many big plays that happened in this game I want to go through them one by one with you get your analysis stay tuned for that.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. This is quarter number two of our show. In quarter number one, we were doing kind of the overview of the Penn State offense and what some of the concerning items were. This segment, T. Frank, I want to hit some of those big plays from the Indiana game, but before we get there, you and I were chatting between segments, and in the first segment, you were talking about the running backs, not breaking the tackles, not doing the things necessary to get that uh, big run, but between segments, you also mentioned about the tight end blocking, Mm -hmm. and I mentioned that last year, it seemed like every big run there was a big block by a tight end, usually Brenton strange. Are yeah. we not seeing that this year?
2: It's hit or miss. And, um, I just, I always try to check myself when I give absolutes <laughs> and just make sure because absolutes are never the correct answer. Like, uh, this the only reason this offense isn't any, isn't uh, good is because of Mike Yersich. Like that's not correct. Um, there's always multi-layered gray area in all of these things. So, Theo Johnson in specific schemes was good last week, but um, there were a couple pin and pull is a type of run where you have to get a pin block or a down block at the, at the point of attack to allow your offensive line to pull into space. So it's literally everything in football is pretty much explanatory other than like the, the signals. So your, your pin block is the key block when you're trying to run this scheme and it's, it's up to usually a tight end to block a defensive lineman and open up a running lane for the offensive lineman and then the running back. And it was a small but critical part of what Penn State was trying to do last week, and they just couldn't get it. It was There were a couple of really great opportunities for Nick Singleton to get out in space and to run, but when you don't get that block, it just muddies everything up. So they are wildly inconsistent. One week, Tyler Warren is dominating guys and they're, you know, in their man blocking schemes, he's running guys off the ball. Another week, they can't hit a backside uh, cutoff block in zone blocking. And this week, they can't hit a pin and pull, which is something they've been, that's an area last year they were good because Bretton Strange was able to get that block, but they just haven't found a guy to replace that in the offense. The counter game where they pull a tight end, another area where they just haven't had some of those, big explosive plays because part of the scheme is not as strong as it was last year. And it's just these small percentages. It's not even like horrible. It's just not as good as it was last year. So there's specific blocks that are just, they can't really run at this point.
1: All right, let's get to some of those big plays in the Indiana game. Let's start with the defensive side. Two big mistakes led to two big touchdowns walk us through quickly those two plays and then we could get to the yeah. Drew Aller interception, the Drew Aller big pass, but let's go over those two big plays from the defensive side.
2: The first one's super easy. Uh, you're in man coverage. Zaki Wheatley is a safety. He does the number one thing you can't do when you're in man coverage is he peeks into the backfield. He's looking at the quarterback and he stops his feet for just a second. And that was enough for the receiver to run right by him. And then Nobody caught him <laughs> just like he outran the Penn state defense for 90 yards, which I'm not, I, I don't expect Jalen Reed to be able to run down anybody in the open field. I would have expected Zaki Wheatley to be able to run that guy down. Zaki Wheatley is a fast safety. Now the fastest safety again, kind of like a tight end isn't like the fastest corner, but nobody caught up to that guy. Um, I don't know what's going on there. We didn't see Zaki Wheatley after that. I don't know if he was nicked up coming into the game and It was like, okay, this clearly isn't going to work today or what the situation was there. That is literally, I'm not trying to give you a theory. That's just the, what happened on that play. The second play is a miscommunication. And this actually was a systemic thing for Penn State. They had very bad communication in the secondary throughout the game, where they're trying to get guys' attention. They're trying to get on the same page with coverage, and one or more people are not paying attention, or they, don't, they just can't hear uh, their, their teammates, and they're looking. So on the, uh, on the other touchdown, you have two guys blitzing, and James Franklin talked about this. This is based on split and where people are on the field. Indiana had four players into the field, meaning four of their eligible receivers are on one side of the formation, and they have, a, uh, they have their receiver, their X receiver, on the other side. So you have two players on the back side. That's a, that is not a good use of your resources. So Penn State, in those situations, will blitz one of them. Who is supposed to blitz? Based on what I saw, and you can check out why I think that, um, I think KJ Winston was wrong on that play. He's supposed to roll over top and be the cover player. And both players blitz. There's a communication from the from the field side. Kalen King and Zaki Wheatley, or I'm sorry, uh, Jalen Reed, are trying to get communication over into the other side of the, uh, the field to those two guys, and neither of them hear it. That was kind of a thing for uh, KJ Winston. Is that he was he was having a hard time dialing into the communication process throughout the game, so that's what happened. Two young safeties not playing uh, up to the level of awareness they have for the last year and a half, and especially this year.
1: And those mistakes proved very costly. All right, let's move now towards the end of the game. It finally happened, T. Frank, the Drew yep. Aller interception, and we've had the theories come across here even our new colleague landon tengwall said you know last week before this Mm -hmm. happened jim maybe he just needs to get it out of the way get it out of his system yeah he picked a very bad time to get it out of his (laughs) system (laughs) yeah and it was it was an ill-advised pass wasn't it so
2: it's interesting it's it was not because so there's process and then there's um the other things that get in the way. So he didn't make a boneheaded decision from an eyes standpoint or from a covered reading standpoint. He is still very good at reading coverage. So he didn't fall for the bait and Indiana runs a lot of complex coverages. He could have thrown an interception multiple times in that game. If he wasn't drew aller, what he did was he had bad pocket presence and allowed the feeling of uh, the pressure to affect his rhythm of the throw. He had two open receivers on that play it is a blitz cover 1 man coverage in the in the secondary and you have a safety on Keandre Lambert Smith. Keandre gets open on an out route. It's going to be a first down. He all Drew has to do is step into the throw and deliver the football. But the same stunt that had gotten pressure several times, I don't know if he saw that it was the exact same stunt, right? So the same pressure, but he definitely sees and feels the pressure. So his feet get bad, his eyes get bad. And because he's not in position to throw accurately, he has to reset. But then when he resets, he resets again. And by that point, there's pressure at his feet. Nick Singleton is not a strong run blocker or pass blocker. He gets the initial block, but then gives up pressure after he uh, gets into contact. And Dante Cephas is open on the backside of the play. But Drew is so late getting him the football because at this point he is not processing. He is reacting to the defense. So he throws the ball late off his back foot under pressure and he sails it to the free safety. So it was entirely about what was going on between Drew Aller's ears from a pressure perspective and pocket poise. It wasn't he made a bad read. So the good news is, and we'll get to this next, he was a different player. At, on, the sec, on the next drive, when he came back out, he was very poised, un, had very little pressure. But even when he did, sidestep pressure and found Catron uh, Allen. It, it, yeah, it kind of short-circuited him and felt like it reset him for those three plays where they got a touchdown. All
1: right, let's get to those plays quickly. But bef- before I do, just really fast, Indiana just got so conservative at that point after yeah. getting— They didn't play for the win. They played to t- tie the game. That's exactly what they did. And then it burned them. Okay, now let's get to uh, post-interception. Drew Aller, he had made two plays. One was a Catron Allen run for ten yards. Then he checked down to Catron Allen, picked up, I believe, eleven yards. Had two first downs. Then the big play to Keandre Lambert Smith. Walk me through it, T. Frank.
2: It's actually the most boring play. It is just <laughs> basic. It's it's super simple. So go back to the interception. Keandre Lambert Smith is against the safety and he's open on the play. And if drew just throws the ball to him, it's a, it's a completion. So on this play, the only difference is Indiana. And I think Penn state went no huddle here, or at least they didn't provide Indiana based on the way the defense lined up enough time to get in a complex call. Cause they blitz, but they, br- they come straight at the Penn state offensive line. And when you come straight at the Penn state offensive line, they are good at pass protection and they give a clean pocket. So drew had a clean pocket. He had one-on-one with his best receiver against a slot corner, slot safety, and it was just a slot fade. Literally just a run up the field, beat the guy in coverage. Uh, Keandre got a step, Drew Aller threw it, touchdown. Like, that's it.
1: Boring, but it leads to, why don't we see that more often? And what I thought was interesting was it looked like Drew Aller saw the coverage pre-snap, said, aha, I like the matchup there. Yeah. And he stayed there. That's where his eyes were the whole time. And then, you know, made the beautiful throw. Lambert Smith uh, got himself open. Everything clicked on it, which leaves every Penn State fan saying there. That's what we want to see more often. All right, T. Frank, we still have some time. I want to go to then the next big play from the defensive side of the ball. Deny Dennis Sutton. He this is what wrapped up the victory just one on one he whipped that left tackle.
2: That was actually a tight end. So that I thought it was okay, a tackle he at that point. The
1: tight end.
2: <laughs> they but that's the point. That is exactly the point is you left you left a tight end who by the way like another thing we highlight uh in T Frank's film room on Tuesday. Um Denai had a great game. It wasn't just that play. He was very active as a run defender and he had that poor tight end was just beaten up all day by Deny. So in the most critical situation, they leave that guy to block one-on-one, a six-foot-five, 260-pound defense vent, and they got what they paid for. And, you know, I, it, the only thing I'll say that's, again, kind of a boring play where one guy beat one guy, and that was the determination of the play. Getting the touchdown there obviously seals the game. So no, no bad thing can happen, safety or touchdown. But with the uh, onside or with the with the uh, safety, you're almost guaranteed to get the football on the onside kick. Right. So possession becomes more important at the end of game, more than points in a certain point. And Penn State was able to run out the clock. And you said, I want to come back to Nick Singleton and say uh, just maybe he hasn't been playing his best, but he ended the game. He got a he got nine, I think, nine yards or seven yards on a third and whatever it was to convert and run on the clock. So that was a really hard run and he ran through contact to get that. So I just want to give him credit. Talk about a big play where there was no mess, no fuss at the end of the game because he just straight up ended the game for Penn state.
1: He did. And that's sometimes what gets forgotten in this fandom where we just say, all right, where's that big run? We're not seeing it. So He's not having a good season. There are the plays, it appears, where the running backs, where there are the four, five, six-yard runs, where they are maxing out the opportunity. And that run at the end is what Nick Singleton did. All right, that's it for quarter two. Stick around. Quarter three, we've got your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
3: Hello
1: and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. We'll take your questions at the end of the segment. T. Frank will pick out the best question. Whoever sent it, they'll win the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com, including those great coffee barbecue rubs. And T. Frank, I mentioned this to you between segments. um, As we're recording this, just the angle where the sun is like just beating down on me. And I'm trying to get at an angle where it's not just glaring off my bald head and blinding the, the audience who is watching on the YouTube channel. All right, let's get to it's our just questions. artistic lighting.
2: Uh, it's a decision <laughs> and it's artistic. That's what's going on.
1: I like your spin T Frank. All right, let's move on to the questions. Let's start with Jason in Bernardsville, New Jersey. He says, Coach James Franklin talked about calling several deep shots per game. Obviously, Drew Aller is checking down on many of them. Have you seen players open or at least opportunities to make a play downfield? And Drew is just choosing not to make the risky throw. Sounds similar to what I asked you, T. Frank.
2: Uh, Yeah, and this this is a frustrating question after I thought he had his best game throwing the ball down the field and being... I don't want to say fearless, but like smart with the football and seeing everything. There's a couple of throws he's missed, right? So uh, this is the this is the when you're having a problem at an area, every little mistake then becomes evidence of the problem instead of like a sophomore quarterback didn't see Keandre Lambert Smith open for a touchdown against Illinois on the road in his first I think his first road start. Like, yes, there have been there have been plays he has missed and I can't recall every single deep shot and every single deep shot not taken off the top of my head but I don't think the issue has been that he's missing open players it's the decision about does he want to throw it anyway and to give a small preview of Maryland Talia Tungavaloa will throw to literally anybody and I mean anybody including the safety so it's a it's a risk reward with him. And, and like that's the nature of quarterback sometimes is you have guys that are too aggressive. Aller is dependable and safe and making smart decisions. And some of those have resulted in first downs. So, yeah, part of it is that. And then here's another thing is like in this offense, when they've been taking some of their deep shots, it's been two man routes. It's been play action off of large sets where you have three guys blocking and then Keandre Lambert Smith and another guy running a deep play. So if you've got three deep defenders and you've got two receivers running down the field, it's much easier to defend. There's less stress on the defense. You're, you're expecting some of those guys to react to the run play. And there's a bunch of different things that can get into that, including like Penn State doesn't run out of an eye formation. And yet every single time they don't use absolutes, Thomas Frank, <laughs> many of the times that they've run these big play action shots, it's been out of a single back set, which is absolutely no formational threat because the the tendency is they, they run play action out of that. And then they, you give the defense what they expect. So if you want to say the inefficiencies in the offense, there are some from the coordinator, but it's not all the coordinator. There's some from the receivers, not getting open. It's not all the receivers. And there's some from the quarterback missing some of those plays or not taking 50-50 balls, which I'll say he was better about doing in this game than he is in previous games of putting the ball to Malik McLean, who isn't clear, but is clear of the safety. You know, one-on-one contested catch opportunity, but
1: not into double coverage. Uh, very good, and you segued well into our next question from Mark and Fairfax. He said, we know the wide receivers don't seem to get separation. Aller seems risk-adverse. Expression I used earlier. And for whatever reason, the running game is an explosive, whether it's the offensive line issue or running backs. But how much of the offensive struggle is on the play calling? And what more could Mike Yersich be doing? So again,
2: I can't give away all of the trade secrets, but one thing I will point you to is I did a I did an entire video on just the option plays within the offense. And this is another conversation that I've heard, you know, reading the comments on the internet is my job, but it's also not anything people should do for a living. It's a biohazard. (laughs) Um, I have seen every variation of bring back Joe Moorhead and Joe Moorhead offenses would be more explosive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things Joe Moorhead did was extensive use of RPO and read option, which are not the same thing. I did a whole video on just all of the RPO and read option that Drew Aller isn't taking. It's in the play. It's there. He's just not using some of those things for whatever reason. I can't dip into his brain to understand. I think it's more along the lines of give the running back a chance. And also, if I make that decision, it's now on me. And I would rather the running back have the opportunity to run the ball if I'm not entirely sure about what I'm reading. So there's a little bit of, is he too quick at the mesh point making those decisions? And is he confident enough to pull the ball and throw it or run an option play? There, there was one particular play where he had a triple option, right? So you have the dive player. If he pulls it, there's a pass play on top of he can run. That's Joe Moorhead offense. Like from, from a bit, from a kind of a baseline level of maybe not everything is aggressive and down the field and explosive play hunting, but a lot of it was option plays. And, it's there in the offense. So go check that out and see all of the plays that are all of the dead looks that Penn state is getting in the run game. There are other opportunities. And James Franklin talked about this after the game saying we need to do a better job in that area. And when he says we, he's being protective of drew because that is his decision on every play.
1: T Frank. I can't tell you how thrilled I was. To hear uh, James Franklin say that in the post-game press conference, because what has Jim been harping on (laughs) since the beginning of the year? Drew Aller, if it's a read option where you have the option to pull it out, it's not an option if you never do it. James Franklin went even further, quoting me, I think, when he said "Yes." some of the things, the openings we saw for Trey Potts at the end of the game is is because Bo Prabula is a threat to run the ball, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they brought him at the end of the game because it's an obvious run situation. So bring in your running quarterback. There's no subterfuge or question about it. Like this is, Hey, everybody, we're going to run, we're going to end the game with 10 yards here. So bring in an extra hat in the run game.
1: Yes. And that's where, you know, I thought there've been games where James Franklin has been threatening to bring, bring Bo Pribula in. That would be the change up that you have a quarterback who's willing to keep the ball. And can I make one last point? More than willing. Yes, you can. Yeah.
2: Drew's capable of doing this. So, I've also seen like take all the options out of the offense cuz he's not using them. If you don't have the options in the offense, it's not like it's giving you an advantage somewhere else. The options are added in there because they're they're an addendum on the play. So, it's a, it's an escape hatch. It's not like, okay, we took the option out of this play and now there's not an unblocked defender in this run scheme. That still is going to be there. It's just you straight you, you have no Literally no option. He's capable of getting the yards and making the plays with his mind. It's just about unlocking that confidence with him in him to do it. So you don't need to bring in Bo to do all of these things. It's just Bo would do more of these things because he has a propensity to do that all the way back to high
1: school. And I also don't like the thought that, yes, that Drew Allen can't run the ball. He's a different runner than Bo Perbola. He's not nearly as shifty. He's probably not going to run for 30 or 40 yards, but... He's capable of doing it. He's, I think, more athletic than people give him credit for because of how big he is. Plus, I keep thinking, I want to see this 240-plus pound uh, quarterback run over a 190-pound cornerback. So that's what I want to see. Okay, let's go to Matt in Acton, Massachusetts, who says, Jim and T. Frank, I'd like to ask a question about a comment made on Monday's show with Landon Tenwall about Drew Aller getting that interception out of the way. Is it common in the mindset of college football players, especially active playing freshmen or young players, to keep their stats perfect? I get being perfect would help you get drafted, but no one is perfect and it happens. P. S. Have a happy Halloween.
2: Hey, thanks. Uh I don't I don't have a good answer for you there. I've never been in you know that's a question you gotta I think even if you ask Drew privately about that, he wouldn't admit that. That might be something deep down in his soul that he's thinking about that he would never say out loud because it's not the right thing. Like, it's just absolutely not the right thing to be thinking about. And I don't think it is. You know, he threw a, a high ball over the middle on the first drive of the game to Keandre Lambert Smith. You're not doing that unless you're concerned with if you're concerned with your stats. And primarily, I think it's just been he's been trying to be responsible and be a reliable teammate to the defense, not putting them in bad situations, knowing that the offense is kind of playing second fiddle to them this year of. He's trying to play his role on the team correctly, and that is being mistake-free and keeping uh, the ball and not giving it away. Yes, that has resulted in a bit of a toxic positivity in the turnover margin of they need to play a little more free, and I don't think it's for his stats. I think it's for he's trying to do the right thing for his team and his teammates.
1: And just to follow up, in talking to Landon both on the air and off the air, when he talked about this topic, he said, The preserving the ball, it's such an emphasis. You know, Mm -hmm. everywhere they go, it's possession of the ball means so much. And that's if you're running with it or throwing it, you're carrying the program with you with the ball. And I don't think it was he's preserving stats. Like you said, T. Frank, I think it's just he's very conscious of it. And we even had before the season started, remember James Franklin saying, gee, we've gone through 14 practices and Drew hasn't thrown an interception. And it was a point of pride. And he's being complimented for not throwing that interception. And I'm sure that's in his head that he's trying to protect the ball. Okay, let's go to Brian in Georgia who says, simple one, are we the Big Ten's version of Notre Dame? And I think that's what, what he's trying to say is, we're good but not good enough.
2: Notre Dame made the college football playoff uh so no. Not the Big Ten version of Notre Dame. At least not the 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 historical version of Notre Dame. Maybe this year comparably, but no. I, I a <laughs> simple question, simple answer, I would say I would say no.
1: Well, see, I'm gonna I'll just play devil's advocate a little bit in that there is there there's Ohio State, there's Alabama, there's Georgia, the teams that expect to make the playoffs. I don't think a Notre Dame sneaking in one year or a Washington sneaking in one year or Michigan State sneaking in one year to the playoffs is anything more than that off chance that just things fell right for them. And what happened to those three teams? They got crushed when they did reach the the playoffs, T. Frank. So... I. I understand what Brian is trying to say and I believe that yeah, Notre there's, Dame there's a ahead.
2: whole there's a whole basketful of those teams. So it's not just Notre yes. Dame, it's Florida State, it's Florida, it's uh Oregon, all of these teams that are good. You know, the, the whole conversation of the top four versus the top fifteen. And Penn State has been in the top ten routinely. They're just not one of the top four. So you can say Notre Dame, yes. you can say Uh, any team you want that's in that group and yeah they're comparing to that for sure
1: exactly all right that is it for quarter three stick around quarter four t frank will name our winner
3: hey penn state fans here is your chance to take something off your bucket list that's right go PSU RV is offering a full range of rv setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their lion's den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today.
4: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set over the years we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends low in sodium and feature happy valley's finest coffee wc clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown state college so head on over to 409 tailgateclub.com grab yourself some coffee
1: rubs and remember always tailgate with honor we are statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news sports opinion
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State football. We are going to preview Penn State Maryland coming up this weekend. But first, T. Frank, we need a winner. Who's it going to be going to
2: Mark in Fairfax? Because the simple reason I got a chance to plug shamelessly T Frank's film room about all the option plays in the offense. Penn State fans want a more dynamic offense. They want better production. And there's some dead plays in there. Um, and I don't think it has to do to change the play calling all that much. Just take the opportunities that are there. And uh, like I said, You can go check all of that out in in what I did. And it was a great opportunity for a shameless plug. So, Mark,
1: thanks. Appreciate that. We never mind shameless plugs around here, T. Frank. But I will make that prediction next week's Ask T. Frank. We're going to hear more compliments about T. Frank's film room. People, our listeners, they Mm -hmm. know what it takes to leg up on winning the, the prizes they are going to brown nose. They're going to suck up to you, T. Frank. You got to actually that's watch my it, though.
2: That's the thing. I'll be able to tell if you're just BSing or if you actually watched it. So that's the difference. That's what I'm going for. You got to watch it.
1: <laughs> okay. There's the lesson for you, listeners. Much detail. T. Frank, on your film room, you said this. Okay. You <laughs> need you to go. give us some evidence that you're listening to it. It will help you win the prize pack. Okay. Let's talk Maryland. Uh, Maryland started the season 5-0. and It seems like that's the kind of thing that they do. This is the year they're going to get over the hump, T-Frank. And then they went to Columbus, and they played Ohio State really, really well for the first half of that game. Yep. Things then fell apart. They then lose two more games for a total of three losses in a row, losing to Illinois, then bottoming out by losing to Northwestern. So it just begs the question, once again, who is Maryland? Are they that 5-0 and team, that team that played so well early against Ohio State, or are they the team that can't beat Northwestern?
2: Um, I'm still going through all of that. So that's really, to me, the where it starts is I, I got a general sense for how the team plays, certain position groups, and what what other teams have done based on some of the games I saw watched all of the Ohio state game, working through that Northwestern game. But at this point in the week, I don't have all the film digested yet, but generally what I can tell you going back to that Ohio state game is, uh, Talia Tungalaloa. You could not have a more diametrically opposed quarterback from what drew Aller is. Now I wanted to make sure I looked up the the stats this year. He is much better at, uh, not throwing the ball to the other team, but he's still, has a, a lot of variants in his game. So he will, like I said earlier, he'll throw the ball to his team and create some spectacular plays, and then he'll get greedy and he'll throw the ball into double coverage and he'll throw the ball to the other team. So that's really Talia below in a nutshell. An NFL-level talent in terms of arm talent and the ability to spin the ball and get into tight windows with maybe too much moxie little too much confidence. So um, that's, and and the defense is not good enough to overcome that, right? So they have a good front, um, front seven, good linebackers, good defensive line. The scheme takes away inside runs, but the secondary doesn't seem like it has the same level of play as the front seven. So there's weaknesses in the team and, you know, how you match up with those things can dictate whether the game is close or not. And then the last thing I'll say is when you're playing in Ohio State, at a certain point, it's just the overwhelming amount of talent. You can't give them the opportunity to have the football because they throw the ball at Marvin Harrison Jr. enough times, he's going to do something. And that was kind of what happened late in that game is they were able to work and work and work and work and then get some guys open late in the game, even though Maryland, I thought, played their best game of the year. So that's kind of the early setup of what Maryland is and some of the things that led to that 5-3 and three heading into this game against Penn State.
1: I found interesting several weeks ago when talking to Drew, about Drew Aller, you used the expression athletic hubris, and he yes. needs a little bit more of it. So maybe he and uh, Talia need to swap a little bit there and balance out yeah. that uh, athletic hubris. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, uh, Talia and Penn State's defense versus him. A year ago, they really kept them under control. Penn State had a big win against Maryland. How does the Penn State defense approach a quarterback like this? So
2: I think the thing that happened last year is they got an overwhelming amount of pressure, but they also controlled the line of scrimmage. That was on that tear that the Penn State defense went, where Manny Diaz's scheme really clicked with the guys up front, specifically. So they were able to take away the running game entirely, put everything on Talia's hands, and then they were able to attack with you know their defense and the multiplicity of pressures and uh, stunts and twists. So that first. Salvo, I think, from Manny Diaz when you play him can be overwhelming. Have they adjusted for this particular game? Because Penn State, Maryland is like Penn State, Ohio State for Penn State, right? So they're putting a lot of emphasis on this game. It's a regional recruiting game. So all games should mean the same, but they don't all mean the same. Um, I'm curious to see how they come out and attack the Penn State defense because – you can't have the mistakes that you had last week. Talia is good enough. He's going to find those guys and he's going to find some guys that aren't open, but he's going to throw the ball to them and make them open. So it's not going to be a, I think it's going to be similar to the Ohio state game where you can play a really good game and you might still give up 17, 20 points, which is still amazing in college football, given how many points everyone else puts up. But the offense is going to have to be a part of the conversation this week because when you face a team that can score and if they do score, you have to be able to respond. So for the defense, again, not to sound like a defensive coordinator, it starts up front of eliminating a very eliminatable part of their offense, which is the run game. Penn State has done a good job of being, when their gap's down and they're paying attention, they can shut down a run game and then put everything on the quarterback. But when you have a quarterback with variants like this, where he can just shred you or he can give you the football, it's hard for me to sit here and predict which one of those things is going to happen. And of course, Chop Robinson's health is going to be very important for that where he is at practice on Wednesday night will give us some indication, but you know how that goes. JB Nelson was at practice and then he didn't play against Ohio state. So we do our best is all I'm trying to say. Um, But I mean, Van over and the defensive line, I think is gonna be very important to the health of those guys and, and who's in there to, put pressure on the quarterback and force bad decisions and bad situations.
1: Okay. Let's go to the other side of the ball before we decide how Penn state's going to attack this team. Let's talk about the Maryland defense and what have you seen from them? The defensive line is good overall.
2: So individual players, not like I said, I don't know like who's good, who's bad at each position, still working on all of those things. Um, But from a schematic standpoint, they play a five down front. So they got three guys in the interior taking away your inside run just looking at the northwestern film northwestern's not good right their offensive line isn't good but they straight up avoided the middle of the football field they ran at the edges all day and they were able to get success of stretching that defense out wide penn state has not been willing to run outside of their traditional inside and outside zone concepts so Is it brick wall forehead or are they going to do something different or are they just good enough to move these guys off the ball? I tend to think that this defensive line is going to cause Penn State's run game problems. So you're going to be looking at a lot of stuff off tackle, trying to get, you know, the defensive tackle washed down and then attack the linebacker in the bubble there might see more. uh, We might see more zone here. We might also see some counter and some areas to try and attack certain parts of the defensive line. Um, The linebackers are good. Jay Sean Barham is a good linebacker guy that Penn state wanted who chose Maryland. Um, And then a couple of edge defenders. They don't have a great pass rush from like, there's one guy that can go beat drew Shelton or Caden Wallace or Olu on the outside, but they can get you with pressure, right? So they can bring four or five. They can blitz their linebackers and create that way. And it's all to me from what I've seen so far to protect a secondary that does not play with a certain level of competency, but also they're playing a lot of soft coverages. They're playing a lot of cover threes. And this again, I have to go back and look at each game and not just the one against Northwestern, where they're they're kind of playing off coverages. Those are fast receivers. They're trying to keep everything in front of them. And they did a bad job of giving separation in those zones, even when you should be on top of that in a zone situation. And there were open throws. So there's going to be some open plays if Pence can block it up and get receivers out into those. Uh, into those past patterns. Now they might play Penn State differently and play more more man coverage. So I'll have to dig into that and find out as the week goes on.
1: If you're now uh, Mike Yursich with Drew Aller, how do you attack them? What what are you expecting to see from Drew Aller this game? Um, yeah, that's where I, again,
2: I, I don't know the individuals they might be trying to attack at this point, whether it's uh, an edge defender that isn't a great run player, or if the second line is, I, I tend to think that the second wave of defensive tackles for Maryland isn't as good. So attacking those guys, and that means stringing together drives. And it's not necessarily about Drew Aller. It's about the comprehensive offense and how you put them in those situations. We saw Penn State try to roll the pocket last week and it, you know, you can only roll the pocket so many times before the defense is able to predict and attack where you're going to roll. So I don't think that's a necessary answer of getting him out into space and getting him to see players on one side of the field. I think it's just going to be run your offense. Um, <laughs> they don't change a whole lot week to week, Jim. They, they just don't do that. There's no radical change within this group. It's about the plays from the base offense you select that week. And I apologize. I don't have the information to really say, they're going to do X, Y, or Z in the pass game because like, that's the area I'm still trying to work through because Ben Bryant, the quarterback for Northwestern, I think is who it was, got out in space, extended some plays, ran, and also threw the ball with conviction. So I think, to me, that's what I'm looking at first is just be confident in your reads, get the ball out, get it into the hands of your playmakers, and and make sure that they're able to catch and run because there are, there are seams in this defense that I saw, at least so far, in last week's game.
1: Okay. In the last minute we have, it's T. Frank's favorite part of our show. Oh, yeah, This is where I corner him and I force him to make a prediction. He will try to run out the clock and not do it, but I'm going to put the pressure on him. I believe the point spread, it's not quite two touchdowns. I think it's about 11 points or so. Okay. T. Frank, floor's yours. Let's get a prediction for next week. Give me a score yeah. and something you think we're going to see.
2: Yeah. So that's the thing is like, because I haven't seen everything, I I'm not as confident on uh, Wednesday as I am on Friday on my show where I'm like, here's the five things I'm looking for, (laughs) breaking it all down. And like, I think Penn State can win by this margin. Like the, the point total to me is more of what I think the offense matchup and defense matchup represents. So at this point, I'm going on some historical information. Maryland has been aggressive with their corners in the past and Penn State has destroyed them. Uh, getting single coverage, Jahan Dotson running free in 2021. I don't know that Penn state has that guy this year. Um, And I think that they're going to, I I have been too generous with the point totals for Penn state, giving them too much benefit of the doubt that they're going to work through these issues and click offensively. So not in the forties this week, we're going to go 28, I think four touchdowns, 28, 30, somewhere in there for Penn state. And then, maryland's capable so 21 25 is that is that a football number at this point like you know 21 (laughs) we'll go 28 21 and we'll keep it all touchdowns penn state wins but it's not they're not covering this
1: game all right t frank has it a close game that is it for the show thank you all for listening make sure you join us next time on the keystone kickoff show